back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. Welcome to season three. If you've been around since the beginning, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming back. If you're new, welcome. This is a safe space where I talk about pop culture that has no real relevance to anything. I also throw in random stories about myself and you get the chance to hear about a weird girl who likes movies too much. Lucky you. So this season, of course, we're exploring movie musicals. If you've never had the fleeting desire for life to be a movie musical where people around you break out into spontaneous song and dance and you immediately know what to do, then I am not completely sure we can be friends. And for the poor people I work with, the fact that life isn't, in fact, a movie musical has never really stopped me from spontaneous musical numbers, despite being both rhythmically challenged and tone deaf. Here's the problem with this season's conversation, though. The reality is that there are so many great musicals that we could spend years talking about them. I'd start to hate them. You'd start to hate me. And that would be the end of this creative little outlet. Worst case scenario, I would get so sick of movie musicals that I would stop watching them. And that's just, it's not a life I can live. It just doesn't work for me. So we're going to keep this season to just 10 episodes by interspersing some lists into the fun, like today. Today, we're going to debate the top five best musicals of the 1940s and the top five of the 1950s. A quick rundown with brief summaries and explanations about what these movies did right, the amazing songs, and why they deserve to be on the list ahead of others. And I'm really hoping you'll argue with me. Good spirited arguing is a good time. You're going to love it, or I'm going to love it. The hope is that we'll both love it. Let's see how it goes. So let's dive into the list of the top musicals from the 1940s and 50s. Chronologically feels right, not for the movies themselves, but starting with the 40s. So that's what we're going to do. And I am going to go from my fifth choice down to my first. So number five. This one was kind of new to me. I really enjoyed it. It's the Harvey Girls that came out in 1946 starring Judy Garland. I think I watched it on HBO Max. So a group of women head west to work in a restaurant in a town that's a popular train stop. On the train, they meet Susan Bradley, who is on her way to the same town to get married to a man she's been writing letters to back and forth. When they finally arrive, they don't receive the warmest welcome. The most popular establishment in town is a saloon with gambling and dancing girls. And the Harvey girls mean refinement and progress. Apparently two things the town doesn't want, or at least the judge and the saloon owner. Then Susan finds out, and Susan, of course, is Judy Garland, that the guy she's set to marry isn't actually the guy she's been conversing with. It's the owner of the saloon and decides to become a Harvey girl instead. But then she goes and falls in love with the owner of the saloon and shenanigans ensue. Susan Bradley uh, is feisty and fierce. She doesn't back down from a challenge, and she also isn't afraid to go after what she wants. I really enjoyed her. You see her time and time again kind of standing up to men, stepping out of the role of women, um, surprising the entire town, which I really like. You also get a fabulous Angela Lansbury, who doesn't actually do her own singing. You can definitely tell If you're a Beauty and the Beast fan, you know what her singing voice sounds like, or bed knobs and broomsticks. Um, Definitely not her voice, but that's okay. She's the lead performer at the saloon, and just she oozes disdain while looking classy as a showgirl. (laughs) And Ray Bolger, the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, and Mr. Barnaby Barnacle from Babes in Toyland, he kind of, he brings a bit of comedic relief. He does a lot of dancing sequences, which are really good. In the end which is a little frustrating. Susan 
um, is willing to step away from this world that she's built for herself to follow the saloon odor to another town because he's decided that, you know, the Harvey girls have won. Um, he's going to he's gonna leave town and start somewhere else. But then you find out that he decided to stay. So he puts Angela Lansbury on a train, sends her off, but he has stayed because he wants to make a life with Susan. So it was really cute. I liked it. Best song on the Atchison Topeka and the Santa Fe. They're on, they're talking about the train. The train has arrived into the station at this small town and they're singing about the train. Really good. So number five, the Harvey Girls. You should definitely check it out. Number four, Anchors Away that came out in 1945. You're going to see Gene Kelly on a list, the list again today. Surprise, surprise. But Anchors Away is one of my favorite pairings with Frank Sinatra. He was in a couple other films with him on the town. And then I forget the name of the baseball one. Um, but they do a lot of singing and dancing, of course. So the the two play Navy men on leave. Kelly is suave and charismatic. He's a giant flirt who has a girl just waiting for him in the city. Sinatra, on the other hand, plays a country boy who kind of lacks confidence. Actually, not a country boy. He's from New York City. But he he lacks confidence and decides to follow his pal around, hoping to learn some tips on how to be a ladies' man. Kelly agrees to help Sinatra find a girlfriend. Basically, he wants to get him off his tail. He wants to go have fun with his own lady. But on the way to a club, they get picked up by the police and taken to the station. They've got a runaway kid in the in the police office that has decided to enlist and refuses to give them his home address. He's like six. <laughs> he's got his little sailor suit on. He's got his bag packed. He's ready to go into the Navy. The police have tried and tried and tried to get his home address, and he's not getting it to him. So the officers are hoping that a couple of real live Navy men can help him and get help them and get him safely home. Then, of course, romantic hijinks ensue as both Sinatra and Kelly fall for the boy's aunt and uh, accidentally promise her that they can get her an audition with a famous composer to start jumpstart her career. And in the end, Kelly gets the aunt, Sinatra finds a girl from his hometown that he can actually talk to, and the group lives happily ever after. There's just, for this one, there's just something about goofy, awkward Frank Sinatra that brings me joy. Um, I've been watching some biopics a lot lately. It's I don't know, been my jam lately outside of movie musicals, planning for this, but he wasn't the greatest guy. <laughs> um, Dean Martin was, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but, but he wasn't. But I, so I like this younger version of Sinatra that is supposed to be kind of dorky. I think it works for him. The movie goes on a bit longer than it should, of course, but the music and dance sequences are top notch and it would be a lot of fun to hang out with these two characters. Uh, they seem to really like each other in the end, which I think is fun. Best song, I fall in love too easily. Young Frank's voice. Oh, just beautiful. Beautiful. So that's number four, Anchors Away. Number three, it just wouldn't be a list without being Crosby or Fred Astaire. So I'm going to go with Holiday Inn, 1942. And in Holiday Inn, we get them both together, which is awesome. Both Crosby and Astaire. Jim, who is Bing, and Ted, who is Fred, <laughs> and their partner, Lila, have a popular New York City musical act. Jim is planning on retiring to a farm in Connecticut with Lila, but then Lila goes and tells him she's fallen in love with Ted and the group breaks up. Jim then decides, you know, I'm still going to move to Connecticut. He opens a holiday themed inn with entertainment at his farm and he has to go looking for talent to help out. He meets Linda and has a good thing going finding success. Uh, but because Ted is a horrible human being, he shows up at the holiday inn. He tries to steal Linda from Jim, even though he's already got Lila It works. 
Linda gets mad that Jim didn't trust her to make her own mind up about Ted. And then Linda goes off to Hollywood to make a movie, ironically, about Holiday Inn. And Jim ends up on the set. Uh, so he's come to see this movie based on his Holiday Inn, his Connecticut home. Um, he starts to sing White Christmas. Linda comes in and they, of course, live happily ever after. This one is sentimental for me. You'll actually hear me talk about it next week, I believe. Uh, we're taking a break next week for some holiday fun. But I spent an entire Christmas Eve arguing with my grandpa about what came first, the song White Christmas or the movie. We laughed heartily the entire day. The entire day. My grandpa would have this ability to hear you say something, think about it too much, and then completely forgot what, forget what you said, and then ask you a hundred times after that. So this one is near and dear to my heart. There is the problematic scene where Jim puts Linda in blackface to hide her from Ted, which needs to be acknowledged. Uh, there is there is a problem with that. But the talent is spectacular, and the song and dance sequences are just fantastic. And, of course, the best song is White Christmas. So that was number three, Holiday Inn. Number two, State Fair, 1941. Simple plot for this one. A family goes to the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> That's about. It's honestly about it. Father is showing off his prized pig. Mother is hoping her sour pickles and minced meat pie win an award. Brother is just looking for dates. And daughter rides all of the terribly unsafe midway rides with a newspaperman. Seriously, she stands up on the roller coaster. There's no protect a bar. <laughs> and she doesn't die, which I find miraculous. They sing a lot, find love over a couple of nights and make the state fair seem glamorous, even the camping. The Indiana State Fair is decidedly not glamorous. I've decided I think that's why I like this one so much. It's idyllic and sweet and breaks the stereotype of the country bumpkin farmer that you see a lot. So the songs are memorable and it really is a pretty prized pig. It's a cute pig that the dad calls boy or son. He calls him son. <laughs> so best song, it's a grand night for singing. That's as close to singing as you're going to hear from me. So number two, State Fair. And the number one from the 1940s, 1944's Meet Me in St. Louis. Another pretty simple plot. The World's Fair is on its way to St. Louis, and we get a snapshot of a family over the course of a year highly anticipating its arrival and working through the question of whether the family will stay in town or move to New York. They go through lots of ups and downs, experience a myriad of highs and lows, but end up, spoiler, at the fair together in the end. In my humble and uninformed opinion, it's one of Judy Garland's best performances. She's She's spunky. She's really awkward at times and heartfelt as she navigates finding love and taking care of her family, which I've always just really loved. There's this book called The Movie Musical by Janine Basinger. It was a little over my head, definitely talked about a lot of movies that I had never heard of and probably could never get my hands on. Um, but in the book, she cites Meet Me in St. Louis as a perfect positive example of how to open a musical film. The world is set immediately, a world in which musical is, music is natural. Everyone is a singer, whether or not they can carry a tune, which some of the people in the opening number cannot carry a tune. And you understand immediately that you're going to be following this normal family throughout the film. So I just, I, I like that explanation of it, that, you know, it just seems like songs, singing is just a part of the everyday life in this movie. Best song, it's a tie. 
you can't deny Garland's performance of Have a Little, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and the dramatic scene where her sister runs out to the snow, heartbroken that she's going to have to leave her home and her snowmen behind for New York, and she just starts beating on the snowmen. I mean, it's it's beautiful, beautiful. But my favorite song is the trolley song. One, because it's brilliant, and two, because my other grandpa would sing it to me. And if that's not the sign of a great musical number, then I don't know what is. I feel like I left some wonderful movies out. But we're going we're gonna to power through to my top five of the 50s. All right, here we go. Number five. This one was hard. It was, when I, as I was looking at my top five of the 50s, it was a sp- open spot I couldn't seem to fill. There were others under consideration, but I kept coming back to this one specifically for the music. And that is South Pacific came out in 1958. The story is okay, but the songs are often playing freely in my head. And it usually ends up with me conducting an imaginary orchestra with great pizzazz. I will be walking through the library on any given day, conducting my own orchestra. So it's World War II, and as one could easily deduce, the story set in the South Pacific. We've got an American nurse who has fallen in love with a French plantation owner. We've got a group of restless sailors, one in particular who is just desperate to get to the nearby island of Bali High, which is off limits to everyone but officers. And we've got a lieutenant who arrives on the island to recruit the previously mentioned plantation owner in a secret mission, but then goes and falls in love with a beautiful young woman from the island. So you've got war. You've got two of our main characters falling in love with people they are ashamed to be in love with because they're racist. And we've got some terribly lonely sailors. They're not actually racist. They they call attention to it, which I like. So besides the songs, um, I mean, there are so many great ones. Some Enchanted Evening, Cockeyed Optimist, Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair, I'm In Love With a Wonderful Guy. You have this... Like you have this movie musical actually calling attention to a serious issue instead of causing issues of its own, plot-wise at least. So characters that call out prejudice in themselves, they struggle with it and fight against it. It always made me appreciate that about the movie. Yes, they're racist, but they have identified themselves as racist. As for the best song, I I know I mentioned Younger Than Springtime is a song that I'm constantly singing back in episode one with superlatives, uh, but it has to go to Some Enchanted Evening. Not in any small part because I also have various versions of Dean Martin singing it. Speaking of Dean Martin, number four is a cheat. It's a cheat. I'm not entirely sure this can be considered a musical, but because this is my podcast and it's my list. We're going with the fact that it's a musical comedy and that's just going to be good enough. It also just happens to be my favorite Martin and Lewis comedy. And that is Sailor Beware came out in 1952. You have Melvin played by Jerry Lewis and Al played by Dean Martin who joined the Navy, another Navy one. Third, third one we're talking about today. So Melvin is ridiculous where Al, of course, is suave and cool. Al gets invited to perform on TV and uses his charisma to get shore leave for the rest of the guys. Somehow during that leave, Melvin ends up on TV too and is entered into a kissing contest where he attracts the attention of a gaggle of girls. All of a sudden, he has this reputation of a, being a Lothario, a, a ladies' man. Uh, seeing an easy mark, this... Petty Officer Lardoski, I think his name was. He's a bit of a bully. He he thinks Melvin is a joke, so he makes a bet with Al and the other sailors. 
Ladarsky is going to name a woman that he thinks is unattainable. He picks a movie star. And if Melvin kisses her um, after a certain amount, before a certain amount of time, they get his pay. The rest of the sailors get Ladarsky's pay. If he doesn't kiss her, they'll have to pay the officer instead. So the movie is just really an avenue for Dino to sing and for Jerry Lewis to put his physical comedy on full display. As annoying as his characters can be, the man was a genius. Seriously, there's a boxing scene. Well, there's two scenes. There's a scene before the boxing scene where they're sitting in like the locker room getting ready and he's trying to intimidate Jerry Lewis is trying to intimidate the guy he's going to be boxing and and it's just a ridiculous conversation that he has with Dean Martin and then he gets in, into the the ring and the way he can dance around the way he uses his entire body and he's flinging off the ropes and he's prancing and he's barely touching the guy but somehow he ends up spoiler winning the match is is amazing to watch if you have not watched it and Again, I know Jerry Lewis can be annoying, so you can fast forward until that spot. I, I kind of like him myself, but um, it's worth seeing to see somebody really know how to use their entire body with physical comedy. Best song, Sailor's Polka, Dino. Oh, just love him. So that was number four, Sailor Beware. Number three. This one is one of my favorites. Oklahoma came out in 1954. I cannot count the number of times I have watched this movie. Its only downfall is the ballet number in the middle. It is so boring. I always either go get something to eat during that time or completely fast forward it. But it's a story about a territory on the verge of statehood. And the settlers making lives for themselves on farms and ranches. We've got Curly, who's a cowboy, who is wooing Lori, a beautiful young lady living on a farm. Who is playing hard to get. And um, you then have Judd, the creepy caretaker of Lori's family farm, who is basically stalking her. It's kind of creepy. And then there's a party where there's a lot of dancing, a proclamation that the farmer and the cowman should be friends, and the flirtatious annex of a local girl and a traveling salesman. I'm being very vague. If you've not seen it, I, I I would love to have a conversation with you about why you haven't. Curly eventually wins over the lovely Lori and then survives an assassination attempt made by Jed, who then kind of accidentally kills himself. It's a whole thing. The thing with musicals by Rodgers and Hammerstein, you can tell they were made for the stage. The The theatrical performances don't attempt anything new. They just moved the theater production to a soundstage and gave the performers some extra room to dance. But they were amazing composers, just like songs from South Pacific. It's the music in Oklahoma and Gordon McRae is curly. That just brings me back time and time again. Best song, Surrey with the fringe on top. Love it. That was number three, Oklahoma. All right. We only have a couple more. We can make this. Uh, number two, Guys and Dolls came out in 1955. You've got Nathan Detroit, who is on the lookout to host an illegal crap game, but can't find a location because Lieutenant Brannigan is on the hunt to arrest gamblers. Joey Biltmore agrees to let the gaggle of criminals play at his garage, but only if Detroit can pay him a thousand dollar security deposit, which sadly he doesn't have. But then Detroit runs into Sky Masterson, a gambler known for his willingness to 
bet on anything, and he offers him a wager, $1,000 that Masterson can't win the affections of the woman selected for him. We've already we've already done this plot, sort of. That's okay. So Skye takes the bet and is then left to woo Sergeant Sarah Brown of the Save a Soul mission. Spoiler, he ends up falling for her, but tells Detroit that he lost the bet and wages the gambler's souls in a game of craps to get them to a revival Sarah is hosting so that the mission doesn't shut down. Why is this on this list? Frank Sinatra, Marlon Brando, Gene Simmons, and... Vivian Blaine as Adelaide. Amazing performances, even more amazing costumes. It's the cast of characters for this one that sets it apart. The coolness of the gamblers, the confidence of the female performers, and the morally moral righteousness of the mission workers. It all works together so well. So best song is Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat towards the end when Nicely Nicely sings it at the mission. Ah, love it. So that was number two, Guys and Dolls. All right, and the final movie we are talking about today, the number one pick for the 1950s, Singing in the Rain, came out in 1952. It's the goat. It is. It's the goat. There's a how to, this is going to be a very concise summary. (laughs) It's going to leave out a lot. Former stuntman Don Lockwood has, he's made a name for himself in the silent pictures. He has just spent years literally literally throwing his body into harm's way for the sake of art. Now he's a star, a leading man, and the envy of millions. But when the talkies come to Hollywood and he's stuck with a co-star whose voice does not match her pretty face, he starts to worry that his, his career is sunk. That is until he meets Kathy Selden, a young woman with a golden voice that steals his heart and offers him a second chance. That's about as concise as I can make that summary, which totally leaves out Cosmo Brown, my favorite part of the entire movie. Why is it on the top of the list? It's timeless. It's a story about friendship and fortune and falling in love. It's the perfect blend of comedy and romance. All of the characters are charming. Even Lena Lamont, played by Jean Hagen, she plays the role of diva blonde bombshell to perfection. Gene Kelly is so smooth. He's just... He's so Gene Kelly in this movie. Donald O'Connor just brings the right amount of comic relief and humility as Cosmo Brown. Debbie Reynolds, oh, Debbie Reynolds. She's feisty and lovable. The movie the movie is almost perfect, almost. The Broadway melody interlude oh, starts to feel a bit long after a while, much like the Oklahoma Ballet. Um, but the rest of the movie, it's pitch perfect. That's why Singing in the Rain is at the top of the list. Best song. It would make sense to say Singing in the Rain. It's iconic, but my favorite is Make Him Laugh. What Donald O'Connor can do with his whole body, I, I have a thing for physical comedy, I think. Especially his facial expressions, he sh- it should have won him an Oscar. It just a brilliant, brilliant performance. Oh, we made it, guys. So that was my top five movies from the 1940s and the 1950s. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, really. It is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. We're going to talk about the movie Annie on Friday, and there will be more lists to come. If you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about can enjoy the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.
Thank you.